Welcome to Data Science Perspectives. This series focuses on analytics and data science professionals from across industry to learn about how their career unfolded, what skills they look for when hiring, and what trends they think are coming next. I'm your host, Bill Franks. Let's get to it. Welcome to this episode of Data Science Perspectives. I'm your host, Bill Franks. Today, we're going to be joined by Don Vu, the Chief Data Officer of Northwestern Mutual. I first met Don shortly after he joined Northwestern Mutual, and from our first conversation, I found he's someone that's really easy to talk to, and I think you're going to hear he also has some great experiences to share. Northwestern Mutual is a Fortune 100 insurance company with over 34,000 employees and $30 billion in revenue. And since joining the company several years ago, Don's helped further drive the modernization and innovation required within their analytics organization, and the broader impacts it has on the company. Immediately prior to joining Northwestern Mutual, Don was VP of Data Analytics at WeWork. His longest stint, though, was with Major League Baseball, where he spent 13 years in various roles and finished as the Vice President of Data and Analytics. During his tenure, he helped usher in the area of analytics within Major League Baseball. He had some early jobs at companies like Booz Allen, Hamilton, and even Atari, before founding and running Gargile, an e-commerce site focused on men's and women's fashions. He has a BS in information systems and commerce from the University of Virginia, and as part of his responsibilities at Northwestern Mutual, he helps to oversee the Northwestern Mutual Data Science Institute, which is a partnership between his company, the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee, and Marquette. And with that, let's welcome Don to the show. Don, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. I always like to start with the same question for everybody, which is what initially drew you into this world of data analytics many years ago when you were first starting your career? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's the type of thing that I think all makes sense when you look back in retrospect. But at the time, I think uh, more than anything, it was maybe a happy accident. But if I did have to trace the roots to my journey in analytics, it probably starts. Uh, there's two major uh, inflection points. One is as a kid, uh, I went to a computer camp at age 12. So I'm old enough that, you know, programming computers at age 12 meant programming logo, which was essentially uh, involved having a turtle. And in this case, an actual physical robot turtle. Um, we would tell it to go, go forward 50, right turn 90, forward 30. Um, and it would actually have the pen down and draw. And so like computer camp was where maybe my passion uh, with uh, technology and with coding and was really, really nurtured from a really young age. And then the second thing is uh, really my uh, university education. So I ended up at uh, the University of Virginia's undergrad business school, the McIntyre School of Commerce. Um, it was there that I think I was became very, very grounded in the, um, you know, having a very broad understanding of business across a variety of disciplines, whether it was, you know, uh, organizational behavior or marketing or finance or whatever. And I think those two things combined because, you know, from my early coding days, I continued to have like a, a deep affinity for technology, which led to things like internships for uh, engineering and, and coding. Um, but that combined with my, my business background led me to kind of this, you know, accidental career in, in, in analytics, let's say. So my first job was really working for a, a consulting firm, a company called Scient that was a startup that built startups uh, in 1999 in the first internet boom, um, and then really took off from there. And it's been uh, quite a wild ride. Well, part of that wild ride, which I find intriguing, you already mentioned, you know, consulting. I know you had some early stints at Booz Hamilton. Believe it or not, Atari, that jumped out at me. I remember they they made a comeback for a little while there after their initial 
uh, heyday, but you actually at one point started up and then helped run an e-commerce site, which is a little bit of a, a zig away from the, the traditional path. So what, uh, what did you learn from running that e-commerce site and how did that help shape kind of your approach and your management style as it relates to data analytics today? Yeah, actually, I got involved early on in two kind of e-commerce sites um, on the side. So the first was coming straight out of college, um, just, you know, with some buddies and doing this direct consumer kind of a retail apparel sort of business. And then later on, my wife had a deep interest in kind of fashion and opened her own boutique and kind of I wanted to have an accompanying e-business at the time it was, I think, 2006 or seven. And so I was basically, you know, moonlit. I had my day job. I was like moonlighting as her kind of CTO, co-founder. Uh, chief bottle washer, you know, everything that was required. Um, and I learned a lot. I think candidly, like the probably the most interesting things were uh, just to be scrappy and entrepreneurial. So certainly, I think all of us try to take ownership of our various domains and our professional lives. But when you kind of own your own business or more, maybe more uh, aptly, the the business owns you. Uh, in this case, like in my, my, my wife and I's time, um, then you really do learn a lot. The bucks does stop with you. And so just learned a lot about having to take care of all the things that are needed to be successful for a business. I, I can imagine having a day job and then having that on the side was probably uh, a, a rather stressful overworked period in your life. It was, but gosh, you know what they say, the general um, guidance folks say about like startups, you go to learn not to earn. And, and so I learned a ton, like we just described, learned about all the things that you need to be to be successful and be scrappy. So um, no regrets at all. And I always tend to do, you know, almost like side hustles or side gigs um, that I feel like help me grow and, and use different muscles that I might not necessarily be using in my day job. So uh, you'll over 20 plus years in my professional career, I always seem to have these, uh, these things on the side to keep growing. You know, when you talk about about growing, it, it helps. I think one way that that role intersected with your ongoing career was obviously running an e commerce site, there's going to be a bunch of various analytics that, that you would ha were having to use. I'll put having in quotes because I'm sure that was your favorite part of the job to help run that site. What have you seen in terms of advancement in the analytics that are done around e-commerce or just, you know, um, the web presence of organizations in general over the last decade or so? I mean, I think the interesting thing about organizations moving to e-commerce and kind of direct to consumer transactions is essentially kind of the, the holistic picture that you get related to transactions and orders. And, and what I mean by that is with the advent of e-commerce also came the advent of digital marketing. So things like SEO, SEM, and the notion of attribution. Like when you have an e-commerce order, you can actually attribute it through various tracking mechanisms to those uh, marketing touch points that led to that sale. So I think one of the most interesting things to see in that e-commerce space um, and as that kind of direct consumer transactional space has kind of uh, continued to mature, is this notion of attribution, this notion of understanding holistically how an individual um, not just got to a website, but also ended up converting. And then from a customer analytics perspective, what do those people look like? What do those people behaviorally, demographically, et cetera, look like uh, with respect to purchases? What does their LTV look like, their, their customer lifetime value? So in so many ways, it's, you know, e-commerce and this notion of direct transactions with an individual um, was a foundation upon which all this kind of like robust customer profiling was uh, uh, allowed to come to fruition. 
And, you know, one, the one job you had, that I think a lot of people find intriguing, and, and it was your longest stint thus far, was your, your close to 15 years in various roles with Major League Baseball. And my impression, and you can dissuade me of this, was that when you initially joined it, today sports analytics is kind of a cool thing and everybody's doing it. I think you joined it really on the early end of that, if not even before that, right? Maybe it, it wasn't as cool to be a, a, a sports analyst back then. How'd you get into it? And then uh, tell us a little bit about how you've seen is similar to the to the web. How, how have sports analytics evolved over the last uh, 15 or 20 years since you first dipped your toe there? Oh, gosh, I always have fun, um, you know, thinking back to my days at baseball and uh, maybe just to kind of um, anchor folks in like the time frame. So I joined MLB Advanced Media, the digital arm of Major League Baseball in 2005. And that's was the beginning of my, you know, over a decade stint there. Uh, prior to that, in 2003, is when the book Moneyball was written by Michael Lewis, later became a popular movie with Brad Pitt as an actor. And that's what really popularized or where they, they captured um, the notion of analytics being used on the field. Even before that, um, I mentioned that company, Scion. I was a, a, a consultant at Science in 99, and one of the projects I was on was the first construction of the first MLB.com, Yankees.com, and this whole infrastructure for Major League Baseball's digital presence. And so... Um, I was a data engineer at the time, um, aggregating uh, statistics data from the Elias Sports Database into a place. So that really, my, my, my beginnings with baseball go all the way back to 99. But yeah, I think it's interesting. It really has evolved so much. So I put analytics and sports in kind of two buckets. You have the notion of on-field analytics, which is the sexy and fun stuff. Um, you see like things like next-gen stats now when you watch like Amazon broadcasts or uh, you know, even more traditional broadcasters where you see things like catch probability and, you know, maximum speed and all these like near real time statistics that enhance the broadcast. But there's also this notion of um, analytics being used to drive the business. And in all candor, that was where I was most focused. So at Major League Baseball, $10 billion business, um, you know, many billions of those are through the, the 70 million tickets, roughly 7 million tickets that are sold every year more than the other three sports leagues combined. And so some of what we were trying to do is with all the data that we have aggregated about our, our fans um, across ticket sales, across apparel sales, across the way they engage in their MLB.TV or video streaming product, um, how they engage with marketing, how they engage with uh, digital products like AdBat and our websites, leveraging all that data, how can we um, actually serve our fans better uh, understand who's most likely to buy a ticket or uh, renew a season ticket, who's uh, most engaged as a fan on a per club basis. So that was kind of the, the area that I was most involved with. And it was super fun. And it was so cool to see the way it, it, it evolved. And certainly the unlock was this notion of data, having all of that data. Back then, we called it big data being aggregated all in one place and then connected to an, an individual fan's profile. But then certainly it's also just the insights that you have when you run things like machine learning models on top of that data, and then how can it be actionable to kind of influence things? So, yeah, I mean, seeing that evolution um, over the time I was there, being a founding member of MLB's like first customer and data analytics team, that was super, super uh, rewarding uh, and, and really quite a blast. That's, that's, that's cool. I know one thing that we've talked about in the past was, um, you know, you mentioned the advanced media, MLB advanced media. And uh, if I recall, you know, they were some of the early forays from a technology perspective to delivering initially sports content, but later general content digitally. So what uh, 
what was that all about and, and, and how did that end up playing out for, for the world of sports as well as yourself? No, that's a great question. And it's actually a story that not many, many people are aware of. Um, it was featured, there was a Fortune magazine article that said something like it's the biggest tech company you've never heard of. But MLB Advanced Media in building a video streaming platform to support 2,400 live games for the baseball season essentially ended up building the greatest video streaming platform in the world. Um, and, you know, they were uh, engaged by many other parties outside of baseball to do streaming events, particularly high concurrency live events um, on behalf of other organizations. So things like March Madness, things like the Masters, things like the World Cup. Um, MLB did a tr and MLB Advanced Media did a tremendous job in, in building out this very unique and proprietary world-class infrastructure. Ultimately, they ended up delivering end-to-end -end video streaming solutions for folks like HBO and WWE, so HBO Now and WWE Network. Um, those are two products that MLB Advanced Media um, and the spinoff that they created, BamTech, actually brought to life. And then ultimately, uh, Disney bought that platform for around $3.5 billion valuation. It became the back end of Disney+. Plus. Uh, it is now the back end of Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and uh, ESPN+, Plus as well. Uh, with well over 200 million subscribers. So it's a really, really interesting story that most folks don't know about. And I had the the lucky, uh, the good fortune of being both VP of data analytics for both BAMTech and MLB Advanced Media for some time um, and just learned a, a whole ton of things in the process, whether it's real-time machine learning for recommendation engines uh, or things of that nature. It, was a, it really was a blast. I'll agree with you. I don't think 99.9% .9 of people would have any clue that any of what you just said had had gone down. And in particular, it's funny because I know that sports analytics, to your point, only even became a thing 20 years ago. And, 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 and it's evolving as much as anything else. But I don't think I would have guessed until you told me the story that one of the major sports league could have actually been a driver for a major tech platform that's used well outside of sports. It's just not something that would have been the story you'd expect to hear. So thanks for sharing that. That's, uh, that, that's fascinating. Um, so we've just talked about how you've had some pretty not, let's say non-typical experiences, you know, you've done sports, you've done e-commerce, and then more recently you've landed at a, at a very large, uh, very traditional insurance uh, organization. And so I'm sure you found some things to be, you know, different and challenging. You probably found some things to be refreshingly, uh, positive relative to, you know, having to work in a, a real scrappy startup environment, but kind of how do you compare and contrast what you've seen in your past days now as you've landed at a very large uh, traditional organization? Yeah, I often joke that um, I never thought I'd work for an organization older than baseball, which is 120 plus years old, but I actually found one. So Northwestern Mutual is uh, over 160. And so, yes, uh, I'm currently chief data officer of Northwestern Mutual, amazing company, uh, based in Milwaukee that, again, is over 160 years old. Um, before coming to NM, actually between my stint at baseball and NM, I was at WeWork, which, of course, was yet another kind of a view on things. I only bring that up to kind of compare and contrast all the different stops. And I think if you look at all of those in aggregate and start to kind of uh, draw the commonalities and, and maybe contrast some things, each of these organizations were uh, trillion, in trillion-dollar industries, whether baseball and sports and media, or we work in real estate, or now Northwestern Mutual in the insurance and financial services space. Um, all of them were either disruptors um, or in the case of NM, trying to dis disrupt themselves internally and just kind of skate to the puck. 
And so one of the, you know, there's so many uh, great things about that I've found about NM. I think one of the first is that uh, just the, the tremendous amount of resources and how much they really want to invest in data. I've just been really grateful that from the beginning that um, our CEO and our board of trustees are really focused on the need to ensure that we have a, a foundational data capability. So since I arrived, uh, you know, the data team is over double in size. Um, I lead the Northwestern Mutual um, Data Science Institute, which is a partnership with, between NM and the U University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee, as well as Marquette. So there's a significant investment there. So we could use academia and research as a lever in our overarching data strategy. And then similarly, um, we have a, a venture capital kind of arm where we can kind of skate to the puck and kind of run some, uh, you know, get some insights into these startups that are in some bleeding edge areas. So I uh, add all this to say that um, NM is a far more kind of like di dynamic environment and data-driven one um, than I think many people realized. When I contrast it with places like WeWork and MLB and, and other places that I've been exposed to, I do think there's a, a heavier um, burden with respect to uh, the regulatory landscape. So certainly we're dealing with things like underwriting, which is using medical data to uh, do risk classification related to our insurance products. Some of those include um, long-term care, which falls under the purview of HIPAA. So that's something that in the past I hadn't had to deal with. So when you're dealing with baseball, real estate, you don't have to worry about HIPAA, of course, and kind of uh, the vagaries of, of that really sensitive data. And then similarly, um, FINRA and uh, you know, CCPA and things of that nature, there's, there's, there's certainly those considerations and other organizations have to deal that with that as well. But if you put all of these together, if you think about like the regulatory requirements that we have around AI bias and, and ensuring that our algorithms uh, don't price uh, in a discriminatory way to protect the classes, there's just a different sort of like regulatory um, kind of uh, landscape that we have here at Northwestern Mutual versus versus other places. So, But also One great opportunities. That I, I think that's what's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, one thing you said I think is really interesting. You mentioned about you had worked at some disruptors and now you're working at an internal disruptor. And, you know, I, I got to give credit to your company in the sense of I remember when we first met and you first joined, you know, if you were saying they're going to bring in somebody new, the obvious play would have been somebody from banking or insurance from a traditional company. And, you, you know, you didn't fit that at all. But I think it does kind of show that commitment to disrupting. They purposely brought in somebody from the outside that was from not their world, that had come from a disruptive world. And that that's a way to kind of make sure you get some disruption kickstarted in. So it's hearing your perspective now, it all makes sense to me how they they ended up uh, ended up with uh, someone like yourself there. And, 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 you know, I'm sure with your experience now, you've been able to help them figure out how to how to both change some things and even even within the worlds of of HIPAA and some of the big data issues that you have, obviously there's there are ways to help facilitate uh, making things easier than maybe they they had been traditionally. So I, I guess you've probably been spending the last couple of years just identifying spot after spot where you could take something you learned how to do in the past and say, you know, we could do a variation on this here if we're willing to give it a go. Has that been a common thread? Yeah, no, I think that's a good call. It's been a fun journey. And I, the, the neatest thing is um, folks that I work with, even though even if they've been here for a long period of time, are not married to the past. I think folks uh, are uh, really embrace the notion of improvement and how we might do things better in ways that you know allow us to deliver for the business more quickly. 
so that's probably been like the most encouraging thing. And you're right. I think there's, there's opportunity at every organization and we've certainly found our fair share here. Um, and we're all just collectively trying to get better. So that's, that's been one of the neatest parts of, uh, this whole, uh, journey. So across these various, these various roles that are all very different, what are a couple of traits that you think you personally have that have helped you to succeed in each of these environments over the past years? Yeah, no, I would say a, a couple different things. I mean, and it's maybe a little bit cliche, but I really truly do think that this notion of like having EQ and communication skills is really critically important. And then the second one I'd mention is having a good grounding in uh, really what the business is and kind of its main kind of levers and objectives. And I think those two are related because I think first and foremost, you need to understand um, what your company's customers and what your internal clients' objectives are. Um, because if you're going to move forward a data and analytics strategy, you really need to understand the corporate and business strategy and line any data and analytics strategy to that. And then ultimately, even if you have one, and even if it does match up, you, you need to be able to sell it. Um, this notion of making sure that it resonates with folks, there's tangible examples of like the so what, let's call it. Um, I think oftentimes as data practitioners, and I'm that way as well, at the end of the day, I'm a nerd at heart. And I really um, geek out on different methodologies that uh, we might use, whether it's novel data sources or certain feature engineering tactics or, you know, algorithmic approaches. But at the end of the day, I do kind of think about, uh, you know, a former boss asking me, like, what's the so what? And the so what is, you know, typically what's the business impact that's being driven? Like, how are we um, able to, like, better serve our customers as a result of this data science or analytic solution? And so I think that combination of, Having the EQ and the commu communication skills alongside a grounding in, uh, you know, the business objectives, whatever your business you're in, whether it's baseball or real estate or insurance, I think is really, really critical uh, to success. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, one of the things I always hammer home to students um, and, and when I used to have consultants, you know, uh, when I was in the corporate world, the same thing, I would always say, you know, you have to be really careful. A lot of times a business person is going to ask you a question that if you or one of your peers had asked, it would have meant something entirely different. Something as simple as, yeah, so how do these analytics work? What that executive is not asking for is a deep dive into some type of modeling algorithm and how it optimizes this or that. They, they really mean, how are they going to make use of it? How does it work for them? And if you don't in, understand the context of the question they're asking, you're not only going to answer the wrong question, but to your point, you're going to geek out at a time that geeking out's a bad thing to do and actually undercut your ability to have that stronger relationship with that same person moving forward. Yeah, I totally agree. And this notion of like understanding the context, understanding that business folks are most interested in how you operationalize data analytics to move the needle for folks. Um, I think that's really, that's something that I always try to stay anchored to. So over the years, I know we all change and, and, and there's different things we focus on, different things we want to focus on these days. What's your, what's your biggest motivation? So if you were to wake up tomorrow morning and you see your calendar, if you were going to be happiest, what are you going to see happening on that day? What, what is it that drives you these days? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that drives me is like certainly having an impact. Um, and more than that, even that more than that is like leaving things better than I found them, trying to pay it forward. So I, I definitely, you know, in looking back on my career, again, a, a lot of it was a happy accident in so many ways. I've been really, really fortunate. So 
I'm just trying to have an impact and leave my company better than I found it, um, leave organizations that I'm involved with better than I found it. And so that's why I get involved in things like I, I love uh, the NMBSI and how we're trying to affect our local communities, um, as well as students that are kind of new to the career. Um, I've recently joined the advisory board for the University of Virginia Center of Business Analytics. I mentioned I kind of began my, my, my career at, at McIntyre as a student, let's say. Um, and then I'm involved in some other kind of nonprofit sort of organizations, uh, one being Stand with Asian Americans, of which I'm a, a founding member. Um, so yeah, what motivates me is like having an impact, uh, trying to leave things better than I found them. And um, whether that's at Northwestern Mutual in, in driving digital transformation through machine learning, data, and AI, or, or elsewhere, that's kind of like what gets me up every day. You know, in terms of having that impact, I feel like there's so much more opportunity these days than when we were younger in the sense of just think about what we're doing right here. 30 years ago, if you wanted to have some forum to reach out and talk to some students, the only option would have been for you to physically show up somewhere. And so if it wasn't in, uh, you know, in your hometown, it was going to be very rare you'd be there. It'd have to be a major event. Even if it's in your hometown, it'd be a very uncommon thing. Maybe you could meet with a student here and there on the side, but with technology today, it, it does feel like it's so much easier to reach out and have interactions with students, whether it's a guest lecture whether, or, or with young career people in your company or outside to, to actually have a conversation because technology's made it, uh, made it more accessible. And so I've been finding, uh, you know, there's no shortage of people in the business world who are willing to put time into mentoring students in our programs, for example. And similarly, I'm sure in, internally within the organization, if they were asked to mentor some of the more junior um, teammates, I, I think they would do as well. Have you have you seen that same trend? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think people like they really do want to give back. They want to share knowledge. They'll make the time for it. Um, I think it's just fulfilling, right? And particularly even in in the last couple of years, with with perhaps COVID giving us a little bit of a different perspective. Um, you know, and, and for me personally, having done like many 80, 90 hour weeks in my previous life at startups, I think you realize like how you spend your time, how you spend your days or is how you spend your lives. So how you actually um, engage, give back, try to pay it forward um, and, you know, impart some wisdom or any wisdom that you might have from just uh, your personal experience. It's just a rewarding uh, way to go about it. Um, so I definitely see more consistently people are just making the time. Well, we have a few minutes of your time. Let, let's be explicit about it. What would be a piece of advice or, or maybe two that you would give to folks that are either, you know, finishing degrees now or recently finished degrees and then maybe their first job, second job at most, where they're still wondering what do they need to do if they want to get ahead and one day be CDO at a large company like yourself? Uh, I'd say two things. One is maybe I'll like point directly to something that's really actionable is um, I really gravitated towards Angela Duckworth's book, Grit. And I think the tagline is essentially like effort counts twice. And you, you apply a ton of effort in actually uh, learning a skill, and then you apply a ton of effort in actually leveraging that skill in whatever context, professionally, or uh, perhaps in some sort of craft that you have, whether it be sports or the arts or whatever. And I do think this notion of like hard work and creating your, luck, your own luck is, is a legitimate thing. Um, I also think that notion of grit paired with the general um, desire to just try a lot of different things um, and, you know, put yourself out there, make yourself vulnerable, ask about that, you know, ask that person about that piece of advice you'd love to have, someone that you look up, up, look up to. 
And I think those two combined, try tons of things. Don't be uh, shy about, you know, applying yourself and putting a lot of elbow grease into those things that really resonate with you. I think we'll get any individual there a long way. And, uh, you know, for so many folks, I guess two things. One, the path that um, most successful people have when they look back wasn't necessarily planned, but there was also those, those serendipitous moments, those pieces of luck, which I would argue were created by, you know, each person, by the way they put themselves in those positions. I think that's something that you can, you know, kind of manifest yourself if you really apply yourself. I like that too, because if you think about it, when you talk about effort, you talk about, you know, grit, things along those lines, that's something that everybody has and can do if they put their mind to it. This isn't where, you know, you have to have the deepest education or you have to have the, you know, um, you know, the best SAT scores. It's something that people have within their control. And even someone who's not naturally the type that pushes themselves a lot, you can practice and you can get better. So I think that's actually really a really cool uh, angle to play because you've given something that I believe anybody listening could, uh, could adopt. Totally agree. I'll tell you what, I, I know uh, I've kept a, a lot of your time already, and I think you've had some terrific insights for folks. So I want to thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your insights. And I'll, I'll see you next time I'm in uh, Milwaukee. Thanks so much, Bill. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.